Welcome to the Candor Communication Podcast, where we discuss interpersonal communication and all the human stuff that gets in the way. Join us as we learn to get our message across with more courage, clarity, and connection. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Divan. On the day that we recorded this episode, I had actually taken the day off work, but I had no plans to relax. I was going to get up early and use the day to get a lot of stuff done. It was go, go, go. But after we recorded this episode, I changed my plans for the rest of the day. Instead of jumping in to do the next thing on my to-do list, I decided to go for a walk. I could feel the warm spring sun on my skin. There was the faintest breeze giving a freshness to the sunny day. I felt relaxed, at ease, enjoying the moment. I brought back some food and ate outside in the backyard with my wife, enjoying our 20-minute impromptu picnic. Taking those small moments made the day more enjoyable, and I felt more content and more connected with my wife. I doubt rushing through the day would have given me the same experience. It confirmed to me that what we talked about in this episode has very practical and very powerful takeaways. Because today we're talking to Chris Marhefka about finding fulfillment in life and in relationships. Chris is the CEO and facilitator at Training Camp for the Soul and founder and facilitator of Embodied Man, Men's Leadership Retreats. Chris facilitates transformation by opening hearts, expanding minds, and giving people permission to be their most authentic self. We hope you enjoy this transformational conversation with Chris Marhefka. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So, you've read quite a few books in your life. Do you have any recommendations? <laughs> yeah, I've read a lot of books. I probably go on over 200 to two and a quarter, maybe, of like just personal development books. <laughs> wow. It's a lot. <laughs> I went through a challenge. One of my early mentors told me that if I read four nonfiction personal development books in one year, I would be in the top 1% of people in the world. And I was like, oh, that seems pretty easy. So I did that in one year. And then the next year, I did one a month. So 12 books in the year. And then I ended up doing one a week. So 50 in the next year. And then I ended up doing 100 in the following year. So two, two a week. And I say all that to say, more wasn't better. I, I, probably, <laughs> I probably retained like 1% of those 100 books. And so, yeah, I wouldn't give that advice. But I would say that there's been a few really powerful books that have impacted me over the years at different stages in development. I'll start out with like the earliest stage was when I was shifting out of a mindset of just I call it like the corporate ladder or the a certain linear progressional a professional model into becoming an entrepreneur. One book that really impacted me was Rich Dad Poor Dad, very very common one in that field, and I read it when I was in my teens. And it impacted me so much. It shifted my mindset to from that of just consume the information you're told to consume to thinking like in a business owner, thinking like an investor and starting to grow myself. I started to do that early on in my life, teenage years and continued it. That was one. I would say that the 
One that has impacted me the most recently is going to be one. So I kind of skipped from like my teenage years to now was, let's see, in the personal development world, there's a book called The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. And it's a little bit more in the personal help than professional help section, but it really gave me a lot of context about men and how we show up in the world and like how a lot of forces are working against us. And it kind of gave me some understanding and compassion for the way that we were raised and developed. And uh, that ties into a lot of the work that I do. So that was a helpful one recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing. I think both of us love books and we both got, you know, I've got a bookshelf of, of self-help books and I know Devon is an avid reader. So it's a passionate subject for both of us. You're talking about forces just then. I can't help but notice your shirt that says, be the light. And it really is beaming and, and standing uh, stands out to me. Is there a message there? Yeah, this is actually the uh, the t-shirt from my company, Training Camp for the Soul. And it's one of our taglines. When people go through changes in their life, they go through development or growth or transformation. One thing that we notice actually gets people stuck is this desire to go out and be evangelical about it and tell everyone about, oh, this is what I did. It's the best. You should definitely do it. And it's that it's that you should definitely do it that turns a lot of people off. And so what we tell people is rather than going out there and just blasting this to everyone you know, just be the shining light in your life. Be the light in your in your business, in your family, in your community. And when a light is shining so brightly, you can't not see it. It's it's just like, wow, like what are they doing? And they're just beaming. And so that's one of the things we we share with our clients is is if you want to make a change in the world, just be the light yourself and that light will shine on others and you get to have impact that way. Yeah, wow. I think that's really that's really cool. And I want to come back to the the book thing a little bit because I feel like for, for myself, I, it can also it almost be like a bit of an addiction where you kind of like, okay, I've read one, now I'm going to read the next. And it's almost like there's like this, this itch for novelty for getting it a little bit more. And I think like you say, like more isn't necessarily better. Yeah. I mean... It didn't really change. Like, what, what kind of then led to change? Was it the books or did you do something different? Yeah, that's a great question, especially since I find a lot of people get caught in that cycle of just more information. And it's a very um, predictable, common stage in development where people want to grow. And so they go out and they get more information on that subject. And it's helpful. It, it provides some linear growth. And what I found, because I did that for probably close to 15 years of just consuming information and consuming information. And I was hungry. I was, I was just always more and more and more. And like I shared, it's, it's, I, I wasn't actually taking what I was learning and consuming and putting it into practice. And so what good is that really? I couldn't, yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't show anything for it. And so in a ways, like it could be seen as I was actually wasting my time. And so one thing that I did was following that 100, 100 book year, I committed the following year to read only one book. I probably should have shared that one. It was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, very popular in the business space. And it was, I read it 17 times in one year. I'm a huge fan of that book. And it it was at a time where I was, my team was growing. I was learning how to be a better leader. And so it really helped me in committing to just that one thing 
for for a year for 52 weeks and it was just i would open to a different chapter and i would focus on that one thing that week or that that month and that had more impact on my life than the previous well 150 160 70 books that i read over the 4 years previous cuz i was actually applying it and so i went through that i went through 15 years of that and then what happened for me was that i was learning i was then starting to apply it and I'd apply maybe 10% of the book, 5% of the book. And I kept doing that. But what I started to notice as I had more awareness was I was still repeating some unconscious patterns that I knew weren't good for me. And I would even say, is like, why am I doing this right now? It's like, it's like getting up out of out of bed at 2 a.m. and going to grab a, a pint of ice cream. It's like, I know that like I teach nutrition. I know this is not great for me. Like, why am I doing this? Or just unconsciously eating or unconsciously consuming coffee. That was another big one for me. Just unconsciously, just right to the next cup of coffee, right to the next cup of coffee. And and I was like, hey, I know these things logically. I know they're not good for me. What's going on here? And that that like line of questioning led me down to the work that I do now, which is it's a little bit more in the unconscious. It's like what's happening below the surface of what we're thinking about because the thinking is just the repeated patterns. And when you can go one layer deeper is like, where are these thoughts actually coming from? Where are these stories coming from? And that's when I started to dive into this work that I do now, which is just is just like the next iteration of once you understand like how this mind of ours works, it's a it's a great computer processor, but it's only as good as the information we put into it. And so I was like, what's this information that's going in that's had me go up and get this ice cream at 2 a.m. or or do this behavior that I know isn't great for me or react in this way towards my my wife, like snap at her for this thing. I'm like, this isn't me. Like, what is this? And so all those things led me down this line of questioning to where I was like, okay, there's got to be something more than just reading or listening to all the podcasts, going to all the seminars. There's got to be something a little bit deeper at play here. And that's when I started diving in and led me down the road to the work I do today. I think that's powerful. And I imagine a lot of people are connecting with you and getting involved in your in your business and your way because they have the same struggles that you just shared. Your example of getting up in at 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm sure not everyone has that example, but they have their own example. And, and I think... I'm the type of person who's always thinking about health. I spend 90% of my day really careful with what I'm eating, exercising, or having having a mind for exercise. And then it can just be in the last half an hour before I go to bed. Where, and yesterday was a classic example. I, was, I felt like I was perfect all day. And then my daughter, who's 11, she's a baker, and she makes some beautiful cookies, you know, vanilla chip or cookies, and they were fresh out of the oven. Oh. I've nailed it today so far. <laughs> And from your 11-year-old daughter, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And I thought, well, I've got to try one. My daughter's just made it. And then once you, you know, there's a commercial There's a commercial in Australia, once you pop, you can't stop, which applied yeah. to a different snack. But yep. I started the one cookie and the one cookie became five cookies in no time. And then I thought, why do I do that? You know, I've not, such a big part of the day, I've thought so deep and hard about getting this right. And in that last part of the day before I go to bed, I just blown it. Yeah. Is that something that you see a lot of? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's this 
like this belief that our that like conscious mind where you're you're thinking about exercise, you're 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 doing the right things, you're like really fully there, you're present, you're focused and you're on task, you're on your goals. And then it's when you get tired, it's when maybe you're a little stressed or you're overwhelmed in some way. What happens is we start to just go to the unconscious fight or flight type state where we're not in that presence. We're not like actually thinking about our decisions. We're just kind of responding. And it's like when we're tired is when that happens. And what I see and what I tell people is that a lot of people and like good on you for being so conscious throughout the day, but a lot of people live their life just from one reaction to the next. And so they are heightened in their stress. They're heightened in their overwhelm. They're they're cramped in their time where they're just packing things together and they're they're rarely conscious of their decisions. And so when you think about it that way, it's like, oh, a lot of our life is is just kind of like action and response. We're just like responding to the world rather than being very clear and decisive about how we're living. And it's when we're just responding, the like I said, the only thing we can respond from is the information that the brain's getting. And that's all really unconscious belief systems. It's stuff that we just kind of picked up along the way. And that's the stuff that it's it's really it's much harder to unlearn than the conscious stuff because we can all learn like about food and we can say okay so eating this is going to be better for me i know it's going to impact my my weight positively my health positively okay i can get on board with that but it's the stuff where it's 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 below the surface and it's that question of like why am i doing this that's the stuff that's much harder to change because you got to get to the root of it and where is this actually coming from? Where's this behavior coming from? And that's much more challenging for people because you kind of got to peel back one layer of, I know this is not good for me to get to the next one to be like, okay, there's something deeper at play. And then you keep peeling the layers back and then you finally get back to it. And maybe that's what, I don't know, mom or dad modeled for you when it came to like, that was for me is, is like bored eating. It was like that around my house is just like, yeah, it was always a snack around. You're always like hands in the, this and that. And it just leads to like eating all day. And I didn't even realize like every time I get bored or want to escape something at work or like I just go like get a snack. And like that was my thing for a long time. And so it wasn't until I realized like what the root of that was that I could actually change it. Yeah, no, I can relate to that too. I, well, I think we all can, right? And I want to get to how do you get under the surface? But before that, I want to also maybe just ask, because a lot of the approaches I see is really around discipline and focus and really drilling down into that conscious cognitive, you know, just will it through, you know, build that discipline. Does that work? It works for a period of time. And that period of time is dependent on how much people, how much energy people have to commit to it. What I mean by that is like, if you have an empty schedule and you're you're like on sabbatical or whatever, like you're just living and you're just going to commit to your health and like everything about your day, like, yeah, you can probably get pretty far. But the real situation is that most people are juggling family, they're juggling work, they're juggling their health, they're juggling just the, the everyday stresses of life. Now we're juggling what's happening in the world and pandemics and all this. And people are juggling a lot of things at once. And so people don't have much bandwidth to to commit that much discipline that's required to get over the hump of change. 
And so that's why I say it works for a time. For some people, that's like an afternoon and some people might be able to stick with a program for three months. Just depends on how much energy they have to commit to it. But from a long-term perspective, I don't believe it is. I don't believe it leads to lasting change. It only makes change when you're consciously aware of it happening. And that's actually one stage that we teach in our program as it's an important stage, but it's not the end goal. It would be, I'll use an example. It would be like if we had to relearn how to walk every time we got out of bed in the morning, we wouldn't get anything done. And so our body unconsciously now knows how to walk because we've gone through the process of learning it. And now we don't have to think about it anymore. So the same thing can happen with the way the mind works is that consciously at first, you start working on the mindset and you start shifting it to something new and you repetition and you repetition it until it can just automatically, that's the new script. I talk about it like like a movie script is like we're all operating in the movie called our life. And we're the director, we're the lead actor, we're actress, and and we're playing out this movie. And a lot of people go their whole lives without realizing they're also the writer. Most people were just handed a script from their from their parents, from their families, from their schools, from their communities and their countries that they're in. And so they just have this script of like, this is the way your movie's gonna go. And most people will just follow that script. What I learned is that we can actually take lines of that script out and rewrite them and we can put new lines back in. And so that's where I learned to have a lot of control over my life is, oh, I don't just have to follow what mom and dad told me to do or just because I grew up in this way. Like this is what I, I did it for a while and I realized it wasn't me. And so I got to make a choice of changing the line in the movie and having like finding that power is is one of the most empowering things like i hope everyone gets to experience cuz that's when you get to really start writing your life you get to start really writing the life you want to live not just the life that you're currently living cuz there's a big difference there yeah i mean speaking about books that really reminds me of the seven habits of highly effective people where it's really about you are able to choose your response i mean you can't choose what happens to you but you can choose how you respond and i think that was the the thing that really stood out to me in that book and really kind of uses work from Viktor Frankl who lived through concentration camps you know in Nazi Germany and it's like okay well if he can do it <laughs> what excuse do I have right so I think it certainly starts there like that ability to choose your response because that's the only thing that is really in your power everything is is not but, but I'm really curious now how do you get beneath that surface to look at those kind of mental patterns that's a really great question because I wasn't even aware that, that this all was happening below the surface. And so I started diving into this work. And it's, I talk about it like three different l- layers or levels. And I'll start with the one that most people are, are aware of is, is like the thought that comes up. It's like, I've got this thought that's in my head. Okay, great. So what happens before that thought? The body takes in information. So either we hear it, we see it, we feel it we smell it, we're just taking in this constant information and the body is actually creating some sort of sensation or signal. It's just a signal. And that signal gets thrown up to the brain and immediately, almost instantaneously, it gets labeled. And then almost instantaneously, some story or response comes from it. So it's like you're going through your your life and you're driving to work and, and someone cuts you off in traffic. 
we think that the thought of like, this guy's a jerk is the first thing that happens, but our body probably like tenses up or maybe we get some like fire in our chest like right away. And it's like maybe anger or frustration or whatever it might be. And that becomes, oh, this guy's a jerk or, or whatever, whatever the response is. And so what we do is we peel those layers apart a little bit so that there's space between each one. So like, for instance, in that example, and you can't really <laughs> can't do it effectively when you're driving, but when that trigger happens, someone cuts you off really fast, slowing down enough to notice, oh, there's something happening in my body rather than just going right to the thought. So you say, okay, okay, what's happening here? It's like, oh, I'm I'm getting angry. Okay, what's the sensation of anger? Okay, it's fire in my chest. I like I'm clenching. And so when you slow it down, and what we do is we work with the breath as well. And this is my advice to everyone always is if you want to have more control in your life, control and slow down your breath and slow down your just the way how fast you're talking, how fast you're breathing, how fast you're moving even. And when you slow it down, there's a little bit more space. And so, okay, I feel this. Okay, this is happening. And then you get up to, okay, maybe a different outcome is like, oh, maybe they were just they're they're late for work. I'm actually not like, what am I judging them? I have no idea what their situation is. Maybe they're rushing to the hospital, that classic example. And it's like, oh, okay. I don't have to let this affect my whole day. Whereas some people, the trigger happens and they get all riled up and then they pull into their driveway after work or pull into their driveway and they like walk in at home all stressed. This guy cut me off. And now that carries over to their home life, that carries over to their kids, their families, that carries over to their sleep. They're still angry getting in bed. They're like, I can't believe that guy. And how many of us have experienced this in our life, whether it's anger or resentment or, or sadness or grief, and we just kind of carry this baggage along we keep carrying it along and it just kind of infects all of the rest of our life until like I used to go like weeks having resentment for like something my employee did and I didn't just talk about it and bring it up. I'd be like, oh, just like it would be brewing and brewing and brewing. And how much energy does that take for me to be brewing in that when if I just slowed it down and got to the root of what w- was really happening, I could just address it. and like close the loop on it. So it wasn't consuming me. And that's happening like thousands of times in in everyone's day is we're getting this like trigger response system, trigger response, trigger response. And the getting to the root of it is, is the slowing down, tracking what's happening in the body. And then what we do in our work is actually go one step further. And the question becomes, where did this behavior come from? Or where did this thought come from? And the the science, the model that we use is from inner child work. And we talk about what you learned from mom and dad or didn't learn. And so all, like, all of our behaviors, we picked up from somewhere. And so we say, okay, where's this from? And this is where we start to peel back the layers to get to the root. And it was like, oh, this is how I witnessed my dad being when we were driving in the car. And this is just, this is actually his energy. And so when you, what we teach people is like all these ways of thinking and speaking and, and acting aren't actually you. You're just, that's just who you learn to be. It's like the character you learn to play. And so when we get to the root, we get to actually choose if this is something we want to keep or not. 
okay, is this anger that I have for someone cutting me off actually useful in my life? No, it's not. Okay, well, I can I can slow it down. I can feel what's underneath there, and I don't have to respond to that. And that's the process that is it's a little bit more uncomfortable than the thinking process because we're now addressing a part of ourself. It's like, oh, there's a part of myself that I'm not quite happy with or I want to make a change in. And that it requires you to almost like admit and accept that. That's hard for a lot of people to admit and accept that there's these parts of ourselves that we don't want to look at. But when we look at them and we accept them, we can actually do something with them. We can make a change. We can shift it. We can develop or grow. Mm. I like the concept that there's more than one layer, if if it's an onion, so to speak, in in this process. Because as you're talking through the thought process and making space and, and slowing things down, I find, well, well, that's fantastic. If I, if I got up in the morning and I've just exercised and I'm feeling great, I've had a good night's sleep, I'm fresh, I'm on top of the world, maybe I've prayed or meditated or whatever I've done, I've got myself to this fantastic state. The guy cuts me off in traffic or someone abuses me or shouts at me. Well, I'm in a good space right now and I can slow myself down and I can deal with it fine. But as you alluded to earlier in the conversation, if I'm tired, if I'm stressed and that happens... Now that for me to th- slow down that thought process and make space is near impossible. Yeah. And, and so I'm glad you said, oh, well, okay, there's several layers to this onion. We can't just, it's not the thought alone. It's getting to know uh, your true self, understanding these patterns and beliefs that have most likely come from your parents or people who've been very close to you as a child. And for me, that starts to become more powerful now as you start getting into these deeper layers of this process. So I think that's uh, fantastic. Um, and thank you. Something that makes a lot of sense. And I'll use a really like almost silly example for this is many of the listeners that are working, working hard work in their professional lives, maybe working hard at home and their families, they're likely holding a lot and they're likely carrying a lot of stress. That's just like the average resting state of a lot of people in the world right now, especially (laughs) people in the professional space, right? It's like we just accept that stress is a part of life. And that is one of those stories that all of us bought hook, line, and sinker that you have to be stressed. Stress means you're busy. Stress means you're doing things. Stress means you're successful. Stress means these are the same stories that I bought. And it led me to just constantly be creating stress in my life and almost like unconsciously seeking stress out because to me, stress equaled success. If I want to be successful, stress is a part of it. And it seems silly to talk about, but is stress, does it feel good? No, it doesn't. Like, it's not, it doesn't, it's not good in our bodies. It's, it's not good in our minds. And if you look at uh, like some countries that aren't as achievement oriented, they're usually living at a slower pace of life, generally a lot happier. They're laughing a lot more. They're outside more, spending time with family more. There's no, there's very little stress there. There's not, not as much to worry about. And so when I started noticing those things, I was like, okay, this like stress success thing is only one story that I just bought. It doesn't have to be that way. I also don't have to be homeless living on the beach somewhere and just surfing every day. There can be an in-between but I get to choose it. It doesn't mean just because I want to be successful in my career, I I have to work 100-hour work weeks. But that's what I was doing. And so it seems really silly, but like when we start peeling apart some of these ways that we're choosing to live, it's like, oh, do I really want to be living this way? 
like for me, it was when, when I really looked at, it was a really simple concept is like, oh, I want to be happy and fulfilled today. I don't want to wait until I retire to enjoy life at some 65 or like some later year. And with a certain amount of money, I was like, that's silly. I'm like, I'm in my best year. I'm healthy and fit. I want to explore and I want to enjoy life now. And I also want to make an impact in the world. And why can't those exist at the same time? And I just started following a different script. And uh, it's very possible. It just causes us to bump up against what we learn to be true, which is uncomfortable for people to allow to, to handle. It's like, I learned this was true. And now you're saying it's not, or it could be different. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And so one thing I started doing was I started seeing or seeking examples or models for people that were doing it. So it like in that example, I was like, okay, is there someone that has a lot of success in business? They have a very happy and fulfilled family life. They are healthy and they take care of their body and they travel the world and enjoy their life. Can I find those examples? And then when I started looking for them, I actually started finding them. That's the secret of the of this ego mind is that whatever it puts its focus on, it sees more of. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I start I stopped seeking the example of stress equals success and I started e- searching th- these other examples of I can have it all. I can I can do all of these things and really enjoy and be happy today. Mm. And I want to take this a bit further into communication because I think the stories we tell ourselves has a big impact on conflicts that are just unnecessary. But before we do, I do want to take a bit of a detour just based on what you were talking about stress because I know you've got a background in personal training, right? And part of me is thinking, and maybe I'm, maybe this is my own story that I'm now <laughs> sharing here, but because part of personal training is you need to stress your body to grow. And so what is the difference there between stress as a constant state like that you talk about as negative versus stressing your stressing yourself enough that you get that growth that you're looking for i'm just curious if you've got any thoughts on yeah, that great great question stress is what our body needs to make a change or or to grow and so in the muscles is like okay we we lift a weight that's a little bit heavier than our body can handle we get these micro tears and then they repair back stronger and that's the process of growth. It's like you break it down to build it up. You break it down to build it up. That's a useful thing to know because without that little bit of stress, you're not going to have growth. However, most people, if you think about it, like I'm holding a, I'm holding a mug, tea mug here. If I had my stress mug filled all the way to the top and I pour more stress in, what's going to happen? It's just going to pour out the sides. Most people are living their lives with a full stress cup. And so the practice that we teach people first is even before we try to make changes, we have to start eliminating. And this can be anything that needs to go in your life to make room for the things that you want. Most of us are just trying to keep stacking more in and stacking more stress on top. You actually, I'm not going to say you can't because you can actually make your stress cup bigger. And that's what we call capacity. You can increase your capacity. I think about guys like Tony Robbins. I mean, the, the, what he does is just sheer, like it's a phenomenon, like the way that he puts out energy and can go nonstop, but it's only because he spent his life focusing on himself and his health to grow his capacity to, 
just move that much energy and to do so much. However, most people are just walking around with really limited capacity and then they're just overflowing it all the time. And so the learning how to get out of that stress state and into this more like present, rested, recovered state is it's a requirement because you can't make changes when you're in this survival stress state. It's like we're constantly running from the metaphorical tiger and we're thinking that we're going to make positive changes in our life. No, we're, we're trying to outrun a tiger right now called our life. And you don't think critically from that state. You're not creative from that state. You're just like barely hanging on. You're just surviving life. And so the slowing down life, the slowing again, slowing down the breath, slowing down the speech, slowing down like how fast you're moving through life. That's when you get to start making choices about what you're actually doing and start eliminating the things that aren't serving you. And then that will at least make room for the things that you want to bring in. So yeah, it's like when I was running a gym and training, if someone came to me and they were working 100-hour work weeks and they were overly caffeinated and they were uh, sleeping four or five hours a night and they wanted to come in and do intense strength training or, or, or intense workouts... I would, I would say, no, that is actually going to make <laughs> your life worse. Yeah, You're going to hate this. And, and so what we're going to do first is we're going to make room for the training. And you can use that example in any aspect of life is you have to make room to then make some small stress responses. And that's actually how we do our program that makes it really lasting is I'll use the example of workouts again. If someone came in and they had no workout experience and then you threw them into this like crazy workout that you see some professional athletes doing and they're doing like thousand reps of this and they're doing all this and they're running and they're doing and they're working out for an hour, like that's going to destroy their body. That's too much stress for them. And so what we actually want to do is we just want to stress the body like 1% more today and then see how long that takes to recover and build back and then we stress it 1% more and when we do that like if you if you gave me a year with that person that hadn't done any workouts before and I did it that 1% model they would be a completely different person in one year but if you were to do the first example and just beat them up and just like crush their body and like they'd be surviving every workout they, their body wouldn't actually get stronger. It would get weaker. Their immune system would get weaker. Their mind would get weaker. Like you'd literally be beating down the body. And that's how most people are doing life is they're beating up every aspect of their life, trying to get a little bit more out, but they're just, they don't have space for more. And so making space in the, in the life, in the energy is, is a, a requirement, I believe. And that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, it seems pretty obvious. But still, I believe there's there's still a lot of hesitation, right? Because may, maybe I'll just use myself as an example. It's like you there's the fear that if I stop reducing, then I'm going to appear to be less capable. And it's more that kind of appearance or, or what people might be thinking, right? But it's people are so scared to stop reducing that they don't take the time then to look at not just the production, but the production capacity, right, to use... Yeah. that word so yeah. how do you help people overcome that fear of because i think that's what drives a lot of people even if they're not maybe aware of it but how do you help people overcome that fear yeah i think you you just hit on a really important point is that most people are making their decisions based out of fear even if they don't know it 
And I find that to be very accurate in, in working with a lot of people is that fear is just kind of running the show. And what we do, it's very helpful is to get specific about what that fear is. And we, we ask that question like at many different layers. It's like, okay, what is the fear? Well, I'm, I fear if I don't produce, others will judge me or I, I'll be less than or I won't get ahead or I won't make this goal that I have. Okay. And then what would that mean about you? And then we just keep going deeper until we really get to the layer of, oh, if I, I just have this like fear that I won't be accepted by people because I'm not achieving. And that honestly ties back to, that's one of the most common ones, especially in, in the world that, that you guys live in and I live in is this achievement world. It's this really common belief that we oftentimes get from mom or dad where it's like, oh, we show up with the good grades and we get praised. We get the the trophy in sports and we get praised. And it's a very like, do better and get more love, get more acceptance. And so the fear is I just constantly have to be doing more, doing better to keep this love and acceptance up of, from other people. And this is the part that gets a little bit like less... I call it like less masculine and a little bit more feminine is like, okay, what does that feel like to not be accepted by people? And like, we actually feel through like, oh, that like, this is like nauseousness in my gut and like, oh, or, or I've got this tightness in my chest or whatever. And, and what we teach people how to do is, is actually feel that rather than just shut it down or avoid it. And this is like the more emotional side is like, okay, what would happen if people didn't accept me? Okay, I'll feel through that, like really, really go into it. And then you realize like, oh, I just felt through the thing that I was so afraid of. And now it doesn't have as much control over me. It doesn't have as much charge anymore. It's like, oh, that wasn't that bad. It's the same thing with like having a difficult conversation. It's like all this fear builds up and builds up. And then when you actually have it, you're like, oh, that was it. It's actually way better. Like, <laughs> And so that's the same thing with like these fears that we're carrying is that we actually make them really, really big to the point to where it controls us. But when we actually go into it and we like really dive into it, we get layers and layers deep. And then we feel those layers like really at a felt sensation level. We're like, okay, I'm still alive. Actually, I'm fine. <laughs> and then you get to, and, and the power in that is that you get to start making decisions from a, a place of creation and thriving rather than surviving this fear that's actually all made up. All fear exists in the mind. And so it just empowers people to, to, to not be playing this game of like, what should I be doing here? What do they want me to do? How do I get love? How do I do this? And it just allows people to be themselves which is when we were talking about like stress and energy, that's the lightest, best thing in the world when you just get to be yourself and you don't actually have to pretend and play all these games that everyone's playing and put on all these masks and like play these characters. It's really easy to be yourself. Yeah. And it's stress-free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that's a really, like I said, it, it dives a little bit more into some like a lot of us are taught this like very like conscious linear thinking cognitive thinking in the mind and this goes a little bit deeper than that and so it can be challenging to some people that are the just very like logical thought things and i can think my way through this problem and it's i was that person and like really stubbornly that person 
And it wasn't until I was having a lot of pain from doing the same things over and over again that I finally kind of accepted something, something that was a little bit outside of what I could understand. And and now it makes enormous sense. But when you get the power back to control your life, you learn that like you can actually do and create anything. Like you can it's it's how people go from you hear the stories about the the, the high driving business person who just like quits and they become an artist or they do this passion project that they love. And it's only because they overcame the fear to take the step that they really wanted to do. And ultimately, that person is doing what they love and they're going to be lit up by by every single day. And guess what? People probably will judge them. But guess what that is? That's the the people that are judging them, that's their stuff because they don't yet have the courage to do that in their life. And what this person is showing them is that it's possible. And that literally triggers them because it's it's bumping up against the fact that they're not following their passion. They're mm. not living their best life. And so when someone is like my shirt, when they be the light, it can actually be really triggering for some people that are not living in their light. Mm. And those people are likely going to judge or they're going to project their own stuff onto you. And that's where the work that we do of making you emotionally resilient comes in is that like, okay, like, yeah, I, I hear you. Great. And I, I wouldn't say this, but I just know that it's not about me. It's not personal. It's, this actually isn't mine at all. Like I'm actually living very authentically. And this happens occasionally, like, I'm very open on social media and someone will comment or DM or something like that. And I'll just be like, okay, great. Like I clearly, like I clearly see what's happening here. You were just upset about like me just showing up in this way and are, are scared to do it yourself. And so that's tough for people to hold sometimes. Oh my goodness. That is amazing what you've just said. And I think a lot of the listeners of this podcast will very much relate to what you you say. I think people who listen to podcasts tend to be people who want to achieve they can end up on this cycle of trying to, you know, read all these books, listen to podcasts, get better and better and better on this road to what they're terming success and achievement and perhaps get to the end of the road and realize, well, I'm not really happy. I, you mentioned Tony Robbins before. He talks a lot about achievement without fulfillment does not make you happy and cites many examples. And I think one of the, the classic examples people think about are Robin Williams as having achieved everything in terms of being the most amazing actor and, and brings people to, to tears and brings people to joy and watching him and he can be so spontaneous and so amazing, yet it appeared that he wasn't really happy. And perhaps he's like a celebrity example, but I think we all have this within us. I certainly have that within me. And I remember going through a period of time where I like sport, I like competing, I like competing in public speaking competitions. And I remember going through a cycle thinking, if I win this competition, if I win this next competition, if I win this next competition, and if I win that competition, it's going to change the world for me. I'm going yeah. to be this most yeah. amazing person. My whole life is going to change. Everyone's going to love me. And this is my dream. And I think children bring it home to you in ways that you know really make sense because I think children are very magical. They're very pure. They're very innocent. And I remember coming home one day with this massive trophy. It was just a big cup. And I was filled with emotion in my mind thinking, this is it. This is, I have made it. And I remember walking in the door and that cup, all it was to my children was something to pour some drink, a drink in. And maybe some ice cream in and have a cup. And then <laughs> the cup goes on a shelf and collects dust. And 
one of the realizations to me in that process was my children and the people who really matter love me with or without that cup. That cup had no change in how much they cared, appreciated, or loved me as their father. And all these people that I was imagining were going to love me, (laughs) their life don't change and nothing becomes different. (laughs) And the only thing that happened during the course of that period was I became stressed. And I became to the point, I became so stressed that in the period that followed, I was visiting the doctor more time than I ever had before. I had the worst blood test results I've ever had in my life. And by the time I got to the end of the year, my goal had changed from trying to be the champion of the world to how do I be chilled out and relaxed and how do I be, I was using the term more floppy. You know, I see yeah. some people as they're just, you know, they're, they're floppy and I'm, I'm yeah. so tense and I'm so, you know, I'm trying to compete and win. But that was no good. That was killing me. How do I become floppier? Yeah. Your story is almost identical to mine. I didn't share any of my personal story, but that's exactly what I went through too. And you're absolutely right. It's like we have all these things that we think we should do or they're the next logical thing or it's like something we we believe we want to do to get something else. That's when you it's actually how how you know an achievement is actually aligned is if you're doing it to get something other than it, it's for the wrong reasons. Like if if you're do, going to get the cup because you think people like you or people will think highly of you or respect you or other people will love you, if you're doing it for that, it's not actually going to get you that. Mm, right. But if you're if you're doing it out of the sheer passion of like being the best, like you want to win this cup because it means a lot to you, and it's like that's where achievement is really powerful, and that's where that's how you see people becoming masters in their craft is because it's what they deep they would do it with, whether or not they were famous for it, whether or not it made them a dollar. Like that is when you know it's aligned. Is like they don't care what happens. They don't care if people like like I think about some of my friends that are writers and poets and musicians they're like yeah i write for me they're like i i put stuff out there and like half the people love it half the people hate it and i don't care either way and that's how you know you're doing the like it for you and that's how i say like it's not about it's not about judging the competitiveness of it or judging the achievement itself it's like what's the energy behind it or underneath of it it's like why am i actually doing this like why am i putting all these hours in and energy into this. And like you shared, a lot of people will hit certain stages or milestones in their life where they check in on and really contemplate what's important to them. Sometimes it happens at a birthday. It happened for me on my 30th birthday. I used to set goals every single year and I had these ongoing spreadsheets every year of all my goals. And on my 30th birthday, I looked at it I had literally done everything that I thought it would have taken me a lifetime to do. And I did it by the time I was 30. And I had like, I looked at every year and I was like, yep, did that, did that, did that, did that. And that was when it started to like become a light bulb aha moment. I was like, oh, it's not actually about the achievement because I'm not fulfilled. I have all the things, but yet I don't have fulfillment. I'm not happy. And that's when I I said like, oh, is this all life is, is just adding another zero or, or, or setting a 1% better goal. I was like, that can't be it. And everyone goes through that at different increments and stages of their life. Some people, it's a life change. Like they get married. Now they have to consider someone else or they have a baby. That's a big initiation for a lot of people. They have a child and they're like, oh, what's really important here? And a lot of people will 
will use that for a transformation. And a lot of people will, they'll, they'll get their priorities and they'll, they'll, they'll keep them in place for a month or a year. And then they maybe start to go back to the old patterns and they lose what's really important. That's what I see is more common is that people will have moments with peak experiences while while they'll remember like, oh, it's, I actually know what I really want in life. I know that I want to have a loving family and I want to spend time with my kids and I want to have joy. But then that fear will creep back in. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year, and they'll go back to the old because the, the fear is driving it again. And so it's it's another thing I'll, I'll say is on that, there's no right or wrong in your individual journey. It's like we all kind of get to our, our learned lessons whenever we hit them, whenever we find that it's the right time for us. I could have learned the lessons that I did a lot younger in life had I paid attention but I was just so like head down stubborn that I wasn't actually seeing like uh, I, I went through the same thing. I, I beat up my body in competitive sports until I was going through unexplainable injuries, like I just injury after injury after injury. And I hadn't been injured my whole life. And it just like started piling up because my stress bucket was full. And then my, my mind, I like, I got burnt out at work and I just felt like I wanted to escape and, and not work at all anymore. So it was like, I kind of went from a hundred to zero or zero to hundred, whichever way you want to look at it. And then like emotionally, I was just overwhelmed. I couldn't like deal with life anymore. So it all kind of hit me at around the same time. And it was the appropriate amount of pain that I needed to change those things. And we all have that. It's like some people, it takes getting a little little five pounds off of their ideal. I'm, I use a lot of physical metaphors. Five pounds off of their ideal body weight to make a change and be like, okay, I'm just going to change it, tweak a few things. Some people, it takes 50 pounds. Some people get to be 500 pounds. And that's the amount, maybe they're still not there at the time when they realize they have to make a change and it's affecting their health. And I use a lot of physical metaphors because I spent a lot, a, a decade in personal training and, and health. And it's one of the easier understandable things, but it happens in every aspect of our life. It happens with our relationships. It's like, okay, some people, if you just paid attention to this one tension point with you and your partner, with you and your husband or wife, and you just addressed it. That's like the example of five pounds overweight and you're just dealing with it. But some people let it build up and build up and build up and resentment builds on both sides. And then boom, you're divorced. That could have easily been avoided, but that's the amount of pain that people needed to make a change. When when we start being more, uh, and this goes back to the slowing down, when we slow down our life and we ask, what's really happening here? Am I, am I happy with my life? Am I happy with the way that I'm playing this movie in my life? And you get to almost like dissect it and pull it apart. And it gives you space to start making the choices that you want. It's like this new way of living that it's almost like you have the secret, the, the cheat codes in the video game where... Most people are just going through the levels, like chipping away, like boom, 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 boom. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've got this cheat code. Like I just, I just plug this in and oh, I get to live a happy life. I get to have a happy family, happy kids. Like I get to have an impact in the world. And that's the way that I think about it. And everyone, the cool thing is that everyone has that ability. It's just a lot. Most people weren't taught how to do that and they weren't taught how to slow down and pull those things apart so they could actually look at them and ask themselves, what's happening here? How do I want to live? And, and the more 
levels of awareness you go down, the more you can just not only have more real control in your life, but you can also have a lot more forgiveness and compassion for yourself and less judgment of how you're doing it. Because like I said, there's no right or wrong way to do this journey called life. We've got almost 8 billion people on the planet and that's 8 billion different journeys. There's not a right one. There's maybe a right one for you. And the closer you get to it, generally the more fulfilled you are going to be with your life. And I, I find that to be pretty true for most people that I work with. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's not a, a one-size-fits-all. But I'm still very curious about your own story then. So if it wasn't yeah. achievements, what yeah. was it that gave you that fulfillment? What was your thing? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying like how I got to the root of that one. I alluded to it at the beginning, but my model for success was you had to be you had to work hard and you had to be stressed and you had to be suffering it was like you you had to almost show the world how uncomfortable you were being so that they knew like how good you were doing yeah it, 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 like <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. i think a few people are tracking what i'm saying right now yeah yeah it's like you had to make it look hard and so i was and that came from i mean i kind of like a immigrant families and not directly but grandparents and and all the stories were around at, at the at the dinner table like around Christmas all the family would get together and the people that would be talked about were the people that were were, were working really hard and achieving in in life and they were they were also suffering they were like working their life around. they weren't at the Christmas dinner because they were working hard but they were <laughs> praised for that yeah and like so that's this un that's what I was talking about. It's like this unconscious example that you're just picking up on and you're like, "Oh, I guess that's what it means." And so I I played that story out. And I w- I was the guy who was working 80 100 hour work weeks and I was training a few hours a day physically for competition and I was sleeping like 2, 3, 4 hours a night and I was doing it 6, 7 days a week. And I was neglect i was truly neglecting my health even though i was working out all the time i was really neglecting my health and i was neglecting my relationship my wife i was really neglecting like paying attention to my employees and my and my business i had a story that i was doing that but i was just kind of putting my head down almost like putting my head in the sand to work hard and so for me it, i actually had to go through in my story, a, a lot of discomfort and pain in the, all those areas of my life. Physically, like I said, my body started to break. I had these injuries that kept happening. And, and the one that really put me down, it was like the loud message that was like, okay, no, you actually have to stop the way you're treating your body was I had this, trip, uh, it was like a brain injury where the capillaries in my brain exploded. It was literally because they were under too much stress. They were under conscious stress and I was working out at high intensities and my musculature was so tight and rigid. It was, it was like putting a fire hose worth of blood through a garden hose because it was so constricted and the nerves were constricted that like told it how to regulate blood. And so they just exploded and I had this grenade go off in my head and I passed out. And this was like, I was a, I was a semi-professional athlete and boom, all of a sudden I couldn't go for a, like a, a moderate walk up a hill because my heart rate would elevate too high and I would have these throbbing headaches like someone was beating me in the head with a baseball bat. And so my whole identity 
of my whole life of this active person, this healthy person, this, this athlete, it was just shattered in one moment. And that was the sign that I finally listened to because I had plenty of injuries before that, that I could have, that could have been the one where I was like, oh, I really should pay attention to this. But I didn't. And I kept pushing and I kept pushing. The same thing happened with my stress level. There's only so long you can work it, like 80 to 100 hours a week. Like I was putting in like every like sun up to sun down and then some of just working. And you can only do that for so long. I, you can only sleep for four hours a night for so long. It's not how, it's not what we're designed to do. And the, the really tricky thing is that you can do it for a short time. And that short differs for people. People have different capacities of what they can hold. My body had a lot of capacity to endure all these injuries and these pain. And so I kept pushing. That is an artificial belief that the body can handle it or the mind can handle it. Or, or we can we can get by with four hours of sleep. It's it's this like skewed way of thinking that oh I I have been getting by with it, so that means I'm forever going to get by with it. It's like no 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 no, you're just filling your stress bucket up, and one day it's going to overflow, and you're going to have to pay the price, the consequences for the actions that led up to that point. And unfortunately, like as most of us are as humans. We we let it build and we don't pay attention to the really subtle signs until you learn. I actually have an analogy for this. I call it the the feather, the brick, and the Mack truck. It's like the semi truck. And so we get signs of like, you should change this. It starts with this feather and you're like walking down the sidewalk and maybe a feather like brushes in your hair. Most people don't even notice it. They're too focused on where they're going, what they're doing. They got thoughts in their head. They don't notice a feather on their hair and just flies away. And maybe a few feathers, you don't notice them. And then you're walking down the sidewalk and you get hit with a brick in the chest. And you're like, ow, that is going to leave a bruise. That really hurt. I'm going to be in pain for the next couple of days. Wow, I should really pay attention to that. And then what happens? Life life happens. And then you just keep putting your head back down and you're back on your way. Another brick comes. And it's like, oh, you should really pay attention to that. What do we do? Put our head down and we go on with the life and the way we're living. And then all these bricks keep happening. And then one day we're going on the crosswalk and we're crossing the street and we get hit by the semi truck. You're in the hospital, you're in the metaphorical hospital, and you have no choice now. You have no choice. You now have a month in a hospital and, 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 and two years of recovery because you didn't pay attention to the bricks that were coming and you definitely didn't pay attention to the feathers as they showed up. And so the way I look at life now is, is can I pay attention to these signs that are more and more subtle so that I can avoid the pain of change? Because um, I think your ego, your ego gets in the way, right? Because you tell yourself, "Look how strong I am. I can yeah. <laughs> these bricks just bounce off me." Oh, you know, I'm, no I'm special. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a story that we we tell ourselves, and and some people do it for a long time, and they they kind of like sustain a lot of pain for an extended period, and they wear it as a badge of honor. And I did, I, I absolutely did, and so I have compassion for that mindset, but. It doesn't have to be that way. Like really no one cares. That's the other thing. Nobody cares. Everyone is so consumed in their own life. Like nobody cares. Yeah. So so what do you find fulfillment in now? Like if it wasn't those. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The first thing I'll say is that I realized that fulfillment wasn't going to come 
from something outside. It, it was like my belief was that I was doing all these things and I was accumulating all this money and these possessions and these materials and these titles and accolades so that it would fill up this hole in me, this fulfillment hole. And the realization that I had was when I did all of those things, when I checked all those boxes, the hole wasn't full. I was like, huh, I tried all the things outside. Maybe it's actually the other way around. And so the difference that I I, I see now is that like fulfillment or happiness or joy or love, these are all just states of being internally. And when we learn the process of shifting these internal states of like just I'll use an example. I, I have a I teach a gratitude practice where just for one minute in the mornings, right when you wake up, you just say thank you for things in your life. It could be like the bed sheets that you have or the roof over your head or your children or your job that the like it could be anything, this cup of tea. Could you say thank you and thank you and thank you and thank you? And what that does is that programs a state of gratitude and that way when external things happen to you, you're in a state of gratitude. So that's how you're responding. And so the same thing goes with fulfillment or love. We're, we're all in this belief that we're out searching for love out there when really it's when we're in a state of love, we have love for everything around us. And so what I, what I do now, the difference is, is now is my whole mindset went from outside in to now inside out. Like our whole experience of life starts from within us period. It's, and so the difference is, is now is that I have um, like a really genuine gratitude for my life and I make decisions that light me up and they feel aligned for me. And that is what gives me fulfillment is that I'm doing the work that I'm doing. I'm living the life that I want to live. I have the relationships and the friendships that I desire and I I spend time with them and I enjoy them. The simple way I would put it is fulfillment is it's like how close can you get to living the life that you desire? So if you take the li- li- this is the life that I'm I'm living and this is the life that my heart truly desires to live to to live, how uh, how like aligned are they? The more they're the same thing, the more fulfillment there's going to be. The further away they are, the more discomfort there's going to be. And I'm just living today, like I, I live even my my everyday moment by moment choices, they're aligned with what my heart truly desires. And so that gives a state of fulfillment uh, for me. So I imagine you have, have a fairly clear picture of your perfect day or your perfect <laughs> week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the earlier exercises that I did when I start, started thinking about life as a creation was, okay. How do I actually want to live it specifically? And so I, I perfect day, perfect week, perfect home that I'm living in, perfect partner in life, perfect family. I actually have written a lot of these things and, and attracted and am currently actively living them. And so it's almost like this positive reinforcement when you do it in one area of your life. So I, I, I tell people to start with something like really, 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 really simple for them and write it and repeat it. And it could be a thing. It could be an experience of life. Um, what's really funny is that our power to attract that thing, when we get really specific about it and we get really granular 
and we repeat it, it's going to show up in our life really, really, really fast. And it's rarely going to come the way that we think it's going to come, but it's going to come some other weird way that like, if you're open to it. And so one of the things that is important to do is, is writing out like how you want your life to actually look, not what you don't want. Most people are, are saying what they don't want. I, I want less stress. I want more. I want. I want more money. I want the, And it's all this like lack mentality. It's like if you could just start from a blank canvas and create, what would you create? Don't even. Don't even do it from a place of where you're at today. Do it from infinite possibility. That's a hard thing to do, which is why my perfect day. I've rewritten it probably 10, 12 times since I first did it, but it doesn't change. It just gets more specific and more granular and the dials get turned a little bit as I get more information. But um, the best place to do is just start. If there's an area of your life you're not, you're not fulfilled with, like write out exactly what it would look like if we could wave the magic wand. Say, for instance, your, your health or your body, your romantic relationship, write out who that person is, the details, this, how you experience it, write out where you live, your, your dream home, and two things happen there. One is it usually shows up really fast. But the other thing that happens that's really cool is that you can start to see where parts of it you may actually be living and not really realizing. That's a sneaky part about achievement is that if we're always thinking more, we don't stop to celebrate like how good we're actually doing and how great our life actually is. And it's like, oh, I'm living 90% of my perfect day every day. I'm like, okay, like, what am I so stressed out about? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. And, and that's the part that, again, gets missed in this achievement, like more, 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 more mindset is like, oh, like, let me just slow down and realize like how awesome my life is. And like, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. And I'm worried about the 1% or the 10% that's not quite there yet aligned. And so just having some patience with the 10% and acknowledging the awesomeness of the 90%, I find is really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I really want to to get into the relationship side, right? Because I know you do a bit of coaching in that space. And you did mention, you know, in your during that time where you were really pushing, your relationships also had been impacted negatively. So mm -hmm. I'd be keen to understand what advice do you give to people on the relationship side with this? Yeah. Yeah. Relationships are both the most challenging and the greatest opportunity that we have in our life. They are where the most growth can happen, but also the most pain can happen. Those are very directly <laughs> correlated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the closer those relationships are, the more these people know what your triggers are. They know how to push your buttons. They know they, there's, there's like these really ingrained patterns. And so that's the first thing that I'll say is that we all have ways of being that are patterns. It's like we have a well-worn rut of how we behave. And the same thing happens with our relationships. We have well-worn ruts about how we communicate and interact with each other. And when one partner starts to change that dynamic in any way, even if it's positive, likely the other partner will pull them back to try to get back in the old rut. And that's a, uh, what I notice is a big challenge as people start to change and grow in their life with relationship. That's the challenging part that you may be doing it at different paces or in different ways, or you're, you're, you're doing it in different areas of your life. And one of the hardest things to do 
Yet one of the most rewarding things we can do is accept the people in our life, the people we choose to have in our life, for accept them for exactly who they are. If they never change a day in their life, if we can fully accept them, that is one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves. And, and Because what it does is it lets go of all these expectations that we have of each other. Now, that's that's not saying like put up with someone that's that's toxic for you or that's abusive to you or or that's clearly not good for you and and you know that that's not what i'm saying but most people are having a lot of challenges in their relationships because there's a lack of acceptance compassion and understanding for the other person that they're we're all just doing the best that we can with what we learned what we believe what we are currently operating from and so i that that's just the belief that i have that it, like the reason why people are, are responding the way they are it's it's not who they are it's what they learned and like if we can learn it we can also unlearn it and relearn something new but the ability to accept them for who they are allows us to not want to bring this energy of changing them and fixing them all the time and and correcting their behavior just because I think it's the way I would like to do it. And that's a really, really tough thing to do for a lot of people. But again, the same practice happens is when you slow down, you start to notice what's really happening in relationship dynamics. Like, like oh, they're they're getting angry at me because of this. It's not actually about this. It's about this thing that's one level deeper. And this is just the way that their mom was or their dad was. And, and having a little compassion for them can be really, really helpful and, and almost like a requirement of healthy relationships is understanding that, again, the way they're being is not personal to me. They are just, they are carrying out their script and maybe I'm triggering something that's causing them to act that way. But ultimately, like th- everyone is responsible for their own thoughts, actions, and words that come out of their mouth and their emotions. They're responsible for it. And when two people can be responsible together, that's when you can have a really healthy relationship. But if you're always believing that the other person is responsible for you or for the relationship, like it's like it's 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 tough to do. It's like you're you're the parent of the person while you're still trying to be their partner, and it's it doesn't lead for healthy dynamics. Yeah, I think uh, what you said is quite is quite a, a deep insight there. That someone else's behavior is not necessarily a reflection on what on anything you've just done. And that came home to me where early on in my career, when I was working the way the way we've talked about in this podcast, very intensely, I was working like a machine. I was looking after unionized staff who were tough and it was it was game on and I was on a mission and I I was meeting my girlfriend at the time in a car park at lunchtime and um, she was later to become my wife but at, th- at this point she, she was my girlfriend and I would be I'd arrange that we meet at 12 o'clock so at 12 o'clock I would be there on the dot and if you were a minute late I'm starting to build up stress and she would rock up sometimes five minutes late with a big smile on her face happy as ever and she's had a great time she'd waltz into the the car and sit down and i would make the comment that you're in fairyland you're in this other place that's not a real place that's not real work you're just happy and she would do the slightest thing or say the slightest thing and i would explode and i would i would explode i'd go from here to there over the most minor event and and, I, and one thing i noticed that her reaction she wouldn't get angry 
she would just have the capacity of mind to know that's not you and you're not really angry at me. You're in a stressful situation. And and as I came to terms with that, I, I guess I was so impressed that I ultimately married her. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I thought, if you can understand me at such a deep level so easily, despite my emotion and my very intense emotion, which could feel directed at you, you've got the capacity of mind to know that. Now, that's deep. And that actually gets me speaking back to myself now is you're so calm. And I realized that, well, the problem wasn't the fact that she was in fairyland. The problem was me and the land that I was in, which was the opposite of fairyland. And my growth has been, at least my mental growth, because I'm certainly not perfect at it, but my mental growth is these days I actually want to be more in that fairyland and not in the place that I was in. And my goal is to be somewhat in fairyland. And she actually had it perfectly. And so I aspire to be more like her. Um, <laughs> and you reminded that you reminded me of that when you talk about the relationships and, and you know sometimes we you know what, what someone else does in a relationship is not necessarily a reflection of anything we've done or said. Yeah, yeah, it's like those simple things get repeated and they build up. But like like you said, like you probably just learned that it's respectful to be on time. And if you're one minute late, you're late. If you're not there early, you're late. And like that's just the the kind, respectful, or considerate thing to do. And she probably learned that like it's okay to be it's okay to just show up when you show up and like be flexible and understanding. And it's it's not right or wrong. It's just what we choose to accept. So if that's that important to you that someone's like exactly on time communicating to them how important it is to you. And then you get to choose how much you put up with in that if that person is is the right person for you because ultimately their actions are not wrong. They're just wrong for you and what you desire. And, and, and so I, th- I see a lot of people in relationship and they're, uh, there's like simple behaviors like that or, or just ways the other person is being. And they're, they want it to be more like theirs or the way that they believe. It's just like, oh, it should be like this. They should be acting like, well, like why do they say that? They should say this instead. And the first is that oftentimes is rarely communicated. So that's the first piece of advice is, is sharing how important that is to you. And when you actually have to go through the process of, of, of pointing the fingers back at you and actually contemplating, is this actually important to me? And then a lot of times we'll realize like, oh, it really isn't. I'm just making this a thing because like, I, I, yeah, like this is just a thing to argue over. And so it forces us to take some of the responsibility to own it and then also to communicate it. And it's that's like really next level relationship, but it gets people on the same page when we communicate. This is what I want. This is what I need. These are boundaries for me. And it kind of allows our the people close to us to know what we want and how we want to experience this relationship so they can actually win in it. Most of the time, if we don't say anything, like they they don't know. There's these just like, un, I had a relationship like this where there was just always these unspoken agreements. Like, like she would just th- like believe that I should be doing this thing, and then I didn't do it, and she would get upset. And then I finally realized, like, oh, she was expecting me to do this thing. I was like, that wasn't even anywhere in my awareness that that was a thing that I should be doing. And so, like, this is happening so often in relationships and speaking about them is, is, is really the best thing we can do. 
is just putting it all on the table. Mm. And it reminds me of what you shared earlier about the stories we tell ourselves, right? Because really, this is just, again, another example of, uh, of the stories that Mark might tell himself is, you're late, you're disrespecting me. And that's the story. Yeah. And I think it goes again back to slowing down and separating the action from the story, the assumptions we, we're making, the conclusions we're jumping to. And I think that's all well and good to do kind of in private. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic and you can like, okay, I'll breathe, I'll take my time. But in a conversation, that can be very tricky, right? Because there's expectation yeah. that, well, you're going to be responding to what I've just said or done. How yeah. do we kind of, do you have any advice for how we can train ourselves in that conversation moment to slow down and separate the observation from the assumption or the story? Absolutely. Um, the first thing I'll say is it takes practice. If you're just, if you've lived your whole life responding in a certain way, you're not just going to automatically learn a new behavior. <laughs> like, so having a little patience and compassion with yourself as you practice it, become aware of when this is happening. And the best thing that I, I tell people is same advice, slow down. So, someone says something in conversation is like pre-argument and then the the feeling is like like it's like right there wants to come out and just slow down and take a breath take another breath take a few breaths and what that does is that gives you a little bit of space you get to ask yourself oh do i really want to say that do i really want to express that is that how i want to express it Maybe it's the same thing, but said in a different way with a different energy. When you're responding, this is the example I give, is that when we feel we're attacked, our defenses go up and we attack right back. Yeah, yeah. That's a very, that becomes an argument, a conflict. We're literally now in conflict. That's a very different experience from someone says something, you take it. Initially, you're like, that was an attack, but you, you slow down and you take a, take a breath and you realize like, oh, I'm being triggered right now. I'm, I'm, I'm having an overwhelm response. And the, the normal reactive response is literally our protect, it's our protective mechanism. And we can remind ourselves, okay, this person's not trying to hurt me. They're not attacking me. I'm actually safe to have this conversation. And, and these words can go in your in your mind or just the energy of it. Like, okay, I'm overreacting here. Like, I this is just a story in my head. Like, all these things, we can peel them apart in any words. But it's really the energy of it. It's like, okay, I can feel, okay, I can feel I'm triggered right now. I don't actually respond from this place. Take a breath, okay. And it's just staying in this calm, present state when we're communicating becomes now a discussion. We're a communication of two loving people that actually care about each other rather than enemies. Mm. And I think that it definitely takes a little bit more advanced awareness and development to do that, but it's what we all really want because it allows us to stay connected to someone as we're talking about something that maybe is charging for us or we disagree on a point or something like that. But as long as we're both coming from a place of like, hey, I know you love and care about me and we're just in this conversation together, if that's the energy of it, we can actually have a dialogue and talk through this this thing that's come up and it doesn't have to become the next nuclear war just because we're just bouncing back and forth at each other. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a lot in there that I think is really important because so some of the what I've learned so far on emotional intelligence is trying to 
get out from the flight fight flight response to more of a cognitive response that goes more into your rational part of your brain. And the way you do that is to ask more about what instead of why. And one of the things that I'm thinking is that sometimes you like you trying to process this yourself and that silence can also be in itself a message that gets miscommunicated as well. And I was just thinking, does it just like what I've noticed for myself is just admitting to the person saying, when you said that, I think that kind of triggered something in me. I don't quite understand what, but I think I think this is triggering something with me. Um, can, can we just have a talk about this? That can be a very kind of non-threatening way to start the conversation that it's just kind of sharing your thought process as an observation. It's like, I'm observing this in me. So it's not an attack on them. It's an observation. But then you can kind of go into talking about it in a way that's a bit more rational, less emotional, and you can kind of then work through it. But I think the reason we don't do that is because that requires a bit of vulnerability because it, me- it, means, it means you have to admit what you've just said has hurt me in some way. And that can be very scary to admit to someone saying, hey, that actually, that pressed the button for me. Um, it's easy to say, just to attack, to kind of hide the fact that that's hurt me. How do you kind of create that or foster that vulnerability in a relationship to allow those conversations to happen? Yeah. Yeah. You hit on a really, really great point. And if we were to measure like the health of the relationship, it would track, it would correlate exactly to the amount of vulnerability and honesty and openness and and trust. And so to have those conversations requires a level of emotional safety that this person isn't going to hate me. This person isn't going to leave me if I just share what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. So that first has to exist. And to get to safety, we keep alluding to this, we have to be in our down-regulated parasympathetic state where we can be present and we can we, we know that we're safe. We're not in survival stress mode. If we're in survival stress mode, it doesn't matter what the words are. We are literally in under attack mode. And so anything that's said is, feels like an attack. So anytime we go into a conversation or any, any interaction, it's if we're going in already overwhelmed, that now becomes the energy of the interaction is like, I'm just, I'm already triggered. So everything that's said is going to be a trigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so th- the more like calm and present we can be, the more safe we are for the other person and also for ourselves as well. And it's a self-reciprocating cycle. That's why when the same thing happens is when one person gets triggered and they fire back and attack, it can be this reciprocating, accumulating <laughs> cycle. It can happen yeah. the other way too. Mm. So if, if you're the one that has awareness of it first and you're like, oh, I'm triggered right now, you can like literally stop the pattern in its tracks. You can calm down. You can take responsibility for feeling your emotions for yourself feeling them all the way through so you get back to a safe, calm, present state. So now you can, again, have that really clear, like thoughtful conversation that is different than getting triggered and then putting your, like literally vomiting your emotions back on someone else rather than taking them for yourself and owning them for yourself. And so if we own that and then we get back to that clear, present place, have some really positive conversation. But if we're just vomiting our emotions back on each other, like we're going to end up with a messy conversation. 
One of the big themes for me is about um, getting to this calm place and really making space in your life, space in your day. Because as you as you've said, we we tend to fill up our life and cram it, and so we don't have that space to really be present. I find I learn a lot through um, children, as I was saying before, and even children's movies and shows. I was watching uh, Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh. There's a Christopher Robin movie. And Winnie the Pooh, the character, I don't know his quote exactly, but I have this mental image of him just sitting in the forest, just on a log, and doing absolutely nothing. And Christopher Robert being almost bewildered at times by, how can you just be doing nothing? And the quote is something along the lines of, when I do nothing, that's when I actually find my best something. And that quote hits home for me because I'm always busy, 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 busy. But yet, if I do Nothing, and nothing means absolutely nothing. Nothing doesn't mean going for a walk and listening to a podcast, which, you know, as uh-huh. I walk the streets, <laughs> everyone's walking and they think they're going for a walk, but they're, they're busy. They go, they're busy in their head and they don't actually even see you. But to really do nothing is to just to sit, into, sit in nature or, or, or do absolutely nothing. And I found whenever I do nothing, that's when my brain comes alive. That's when I become free and creative. And to me, this is what this creating space in our, in our lives, which then impacts our relationships, which is what we're talking about now and helps to, I think, to, you know, helps our response in those times of which could be conflict. So, um, Winnie the Pooh is one of my heroes, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so, so, so accurate is that most people build it up to be this story where if they pause for a moment, life's going to be over. I'm not going to ever achieve anything. I'm, it's all going to fall apart if I pause for a moment. And they make it out to be this massive thing. And really, you pause, you reflect for a moment, you check in, and then you get to choose more intentionally. I say it's this really like fun game of moments is every moment you get to choose. And if, you, if the last 100 moments, you, you don't even know what happened, you were acting unconsciously, like, guess what? You get a next moment right now to choose again. And it's, that's very empowering because it it's like, yeah. oh, I got caught up in all that. I got caught up. Okay, good. I don't, I don't need to get caught up in it going forward. And you can just kind of break, you can break that pattern right in its tracks by realizing that just because I've been being this way and been believing this and been thinking this doesn't mean I have to the next moment. And uh, it's, it's fun to think that way because honestly, like, I don't know the answer to life. I don't know what the outcome is like that I am supposed to get to. I don't know what I'm, yeah, it's silly. But when you let go of that and you just be really intentional with your every moment and and not every moment, it's as many moments as you're conscious to or aware to, but, but to be there, to be in this like choosing place, you have to make space like Winnie the Pooh. You have to reflect, you have to take a breath. And people are all caught up about really like um, like morning routines and meditate for an hour and do this. And, and I, I always say that, and this goes back to like my physical training days, is that a one habit that's done well throughout the day is much more successful than like doing a thing like really good one time and then like missing it for a few days and then doing it really good. And what I mean by that is if you can get used to the practice of every time you're in a response state of just slowing down and taking five breaths or taking 10 breaths, you don't need a morning routine. And I mean, like, you don't need like to meditate for an hour, like you're going to have much more impact on your life than that, that even like whatever, 20 minutes of meditation. 
because it's not about the meditation. It's about how long do you keep that meditative, calm, present state in your actual life. So it's the moment after you get out of your yoga or after you get out of your 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 yoga practice or your your tai chi practice, your whatever mindfulness practice, journaling practice. It's what do you do the next moment? Yeah. If you snap back into your old <laughs> self immediately, like that was good for nothing. And so what I tell people is just like if you if you slow down and you just take give yourself permission to just take another moment rather than responding, you'll you'll get more transformation in in a in a month than most people will do in 10 years because you're actually choosing intentionally your life. Yeah. That's awesome. Very, very powerful. And I feel like we can be talking for a long time here. There's so many interesting topics to go into, but we gotta we gotta end somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, Chris, for for making this conversation possible. How can people find you if they want to do reach out? Yeah. Um, best place to find out about the work that I do and this, all this stuff we've been talking about transformation is uh, trainingcampforthesoul.com. That's where we, we do in-person retreats and, and online programs. Uh, we have people from all over the world that do these programs and we teach people how to create real lasting transformation in their life. And, and a really like simple a five-step process for it, so it gives the it gives the mind enough fodder to 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 chew on and understand, but uh, to make those real changes. And if people want to follow me personally uh, at Chris Marhefka on Instagram, um, I share vulnerably my own story, what I'm going through, and some lessons and and what I've learned along the way there. So Chris Marhefka on Instagram and trainingcampforthesoul.com. Great. No, thank you again very much for this conversation. It's certainly, I think, resonated with me. And I think a lot of people get a lot out of what you've just shared with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. And thank you for the platform to share this on. And yeah, I hope it was helpful for those listening. Thank you so much, Chris. You certainly have been the light in this podcast. And uh, I'm glad you wore the shirt. And, and, and what, a, what an amazing message to conclude on. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Candle Communication Podcast. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode. You can connect with us by visiting our website, candlepodcast.com, where you can find show notes for this episode, or you can connect through our social media pages on Facebook or LinkedIn. Also, please remember to take a minute to rate and review the podcast. It really helps us to get the word out. Thanks. See you next time.